0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Not Safe for Wonks. We're here with just such an exciting episode today. I know we're excited about a lot of the episodes that we make, but this one, we really went the distance for this one. We had to travel to another planet, pass through the seven astral gates to get to pony world, and we're here now on Pony Planet with the man himself, the king of the cosmos, Vermin Supreme!
1: Wow. Ah! <laughs>
2: Greetings, my fellow Americans and others. As your president, I have promised to engage in hostilities only with those powers I deem to be a real and immediate danger to our peace-loving nation. That is why I have ordered the Strategic Space Horse Hare Command to begin the bombing of Narnia in five minutes. If we do not fight them in their dimension there, we will have no choice but to fight them in our dimension here. We will not stop until we have destroyed Middle-earth and the last orc is dead. The orc hordes are indeed an extra stential, and I repeat, stential, threat to our way of life, because they stink. In this time of need, we must unite a nation, and I hope that you will all pray for all of our fearsome, flying, unmanned, killer robot pony drones as they rain fire and death upon our subhuman enemy and various innocent wedding parties. May our brave soldiers not be afflicted by carpal tunnel syndrome while conducting these long distance atrocities or terrible nightmares from the horrors they must inflict. Thank you. I'm Vermin Supreme.
0: Vermin, just so incredible to have you here. You are a (laughs) candidate for the Libertarian presidential nomination in 2020. And uh, you've been even winning some states. I mean, like you're not you're not just out there. You are out there making it happen. And we are so glad to talk to you. So let's assume, though, that some of the people out there listening might not know that much about you. So, Vermin, would you please just tell them who you are and why you're running for president?
2: Uh, yes, I shall. Uh, sadly, I, I must uh, I will have to break character in order to do this, but yeah, that's okay. We'll, we'll do that. Um, of course, uh, my name is Vermin Supreme. I am a highly respected political satirist who is beloved by millions now it's only funny because it's true but yes i have been running uh, as a fringe candidate if you will uh for the office of the presidency uh for over 30 years as a uh, democrat and as a republican and anything in between uh, uh, my success level uh has uh, brought me to third place in the new hampshire primaries in uh, 2012 and of course fourth place in 2016 being narrowly edged out by martin O'Malley. Malley. uh so it is indeed based on a farcical satirical take on politics uh, I went viral in 2012 when I took part in a televised debate of a lesser-known candidates in New Hampshire and uh, that is where I introduced uh, my flavor my my take on the current state of affairs which of course included the mandatory toothbrushing law the gingivitis uh, and all that good stuff the the free ponies for all Americans uh, of course it is a federal pony identification system and all of these things. And that really pushed me uh, into a viral space. And then I was shortly thereafter became a meme and uh, became quite uh, popular on the internet. It seems Uh, I believe that I've been blessed Uh, simply by discovering some very simple and elegant uh, devices and some interesting uh, talking points that had a great resonance with people uh, across the political spectrum and across the globe. And uh, so it was a very interesting thing. Uh, Essentially, I found a very small niche running for president and uh, found a very interesting way to exploit it uh, to my advantage. Uh, Yes, it's true. I do wear a rubber boot on my head. I will not deny that. Uh, I am very well known for that very fact. And of course, that is a device. It's a communication strategy that has allowed me to amplify my free speech, uh, First Amendment voice exponentially. It has allowed me to communicate with millions of people and uh, interact with media from around the flat globe. So we love
1: the boot, obviously. We do. Um, I have a couple of hypotheses about the boot. Um, Yeah. I I would like to offer my hypothesis about the boot and then get your answer and find out if I'm
2: correct. Please do, yes. Uh,
1: So my hypothesis is that if you have read enough philosophical theory or enough philosophy broadly, it breaks your brain and you become a shit poster. And you realize that nothing matters. Everything is made up. And the only choice you have is to laugh or cry. And some people choose to laugh. Uh, So for me, I'm guessing that for you, the boot is sort of a massive shit post about how serious politics is not. But I am curious, you know, what's the deal with the boot?
2: Well, oh, uh, the boot is, is a magical boot, and it has magic within it. And of course, I've uh, described some of the magic that it possesses. Sometimes when the media ask me, well, I have the traditional answer where I, I state very clearly that the boot stands for all that is good in America. And that is certainly uh, the ability to be able to wear a boot <laughs> on If they want to do just that and not have the government interfere with that decision. So it's a very libertarian statement. Um, I also tell the media occasionally that the boot is a pile of shit and that they are the flies that buzz around it. So it is indeed an attention-getting device. It is a signifier to an individual that I may be approaching that what they are about to receive, what might come out of my mouth, very well may not be linear. Uh, And uh, so it sort of sets them up for that. But I think one of my favorite parts about the boot is that if you take my photograph uh, while I'm wearing the boot in any crowd or any situation and ask pretty much any child what is wrong with that photograph that child will easily and readily point out that that man has a boot on his head. (laughs) It is an extremely simple and elegant, yet very effective device. And I use the word device in a a literary sense, uh, not the sense that that cop thought I meant it in uh, Charlotte when they sent out the FBI bomb squad to my uh, victory party that time.
1: (gasps) Oh, no. Is that a true story?
2: that is that is a very that's a true story Yes. so the
1: boot got you swatted is what you're saying
2: <laughs> well he asked what's with the boot and i said well it's a device and i immediately regretted the use of words oh, God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. later that night uh, a block away from uh, my my campaign uh, party event uh indeed was the fbi bomb squad vehicle parked there so i can only draw the conclusion that it was connected yes
1: we put
0: out a call to our fans and to the wider public for questions for this interview. And uh, we got a lot of different questions, but I have to admit, quite a number of people asked questions about the boot. So I'm just going to rapid fire a few of the most interesting ones. First off, what size is the boot?
2: The size as is listed is giant. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting to note that there seems to be no correlation between head size and foot size, none. and that strangely, you cannot you, they, they always want to sell you two of them at a time. I will tell you that,
0: ok. That's actually the next question from the audience is, where's the other boot?
2: It, it wore out, actually. I, I'm going to get me a few more, or we can go the part where I have an entire uh, bat cave type of uh, place where I keep all sorts of boots that I push the button and the, the glass door slides open and the nitrogen smoke falls out. And I, I pull it out, a nice crisp boot, depending on uh, the tactical uh, needs that I have for it.
0: Oh, I was thinking a machine would lower the boot onto your head. Just whoop, chonk.
2: Ooh, let's go with that one. I like that one. Sort of, sort of like the Jetsons when when they dress them in the Jetsons, there or some such, yeah.
1: Or like maybe a magical transformation where <laughs> you spin around and the magical like turns Material into a rose alliances. or something, yeah,
2: yeah. like it. It could work. Maybe there's many ponies under there. Maybe I could pull a rabbit from my boot. I do not know. These are limitless because one of the beautiful things about my campaign, the imaginary part of the campaign, which has always been a major part of it, is that we can use our imagination and we can push it as far as we like. And uh, that's one thing I very much like about my campaign. The other is that it's a real-time improv campaign, like when I'm on the streets and campaigning and uh, pushing the uh, imaginary elements, and uh, anything can happen. People can react in any way. Up in New Hampshire recently at the New Hampshire primary, we had an amazing crew with us. Uh, We had my troubadour, uh, Rob Petillo, who came in from LA. We had Lord Buckethead, who uh, showed up from the UK. And we had live ponies. and and a whole Team Supreme of of, uh, probably a dozen people was with us. And we just worked the town, uh, and we went to the Trump rally, and we marched the ponies up the whole line of the whole Trump rally event, and uh, we got to a certain point near the uh, arena in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire there, before finally uh, some sort of security, maybe a Secret Service guy, he didn't identify himself as such, but it was definitely an event coordinator person, somebody high up, who felt that they had the authority to uh, eject us and the ponies, uh, from the property. And so I immediately, uh, through my bullhorn, uh, made it very clear that my ponies were there to hear the president of America speak and and that my ponies really want to hear, uh, President Trump talk about how he was going to make ponies great in America again and um, it was very fun because they you know we had ponies with us so it wasn't just your normal bums rush i mean they had to take into account that we had livestock with us and uh, so we he tried to lead us down one way and the ponies wouldn't go down the stairs and and that frustrated him and he tried to like go around and the pony was having none of it so we had to bring the pony back up the hill and then through this other part of the fence and then they're running around in this like snowy little bit of the lawn that they had and we had to take him down this steep section, and then we had, then they wanted us to march the ponies out. So we were just taking the ponies out this like long, long line that was all behind the uh, TSA style gates and all that nonsense. And uh, an interesting and fun thing that has occurred uh, with my level of well knowedness and all is that as we were leaving, the police are slowed down by the selfies that my fans and and people (laughs) want to take. And so they are trying to get us the F out of there, and yet everybody wants a selfie. And so we are trying to coordinate the line to make it as efficient as possible. And, uh, it's just very entertaining, uh, watching the police get flustered when they just realize that it's not this ordinary run of the mill, crazy weirdness that they're having to deal with, but there's a whole nother level that they didn't even expect it. Uh, it's definitely worth a giggle.
0: Let's talk a little bit about you winning the new Hampshire primary. Um,
2: Okay, because technically, because the, the votes have not been counted today, oh, I think I can still say that I'm technically the uh, front runner. Now, okay. that may not, they, that's not really totally true, and I haven't been rubbing my opponent's nose in it, but legitimately, I can, I can make that claim for a few more hours, perhaps.
0: Well, let's stick with it. You are the front runner for now. We, you know, whatever. By the time this episode comes out, everything will have changed. The whole world will be different. Um, but uh...
2: it depends on the metrics you use. OK, I mean, on the online polls, I crush every other candidate. That's just simply a fact because I have that reach and, and fan base, whereas any of the other candidates in, in relative terms do not. But in the straw polls, uh, which are usually conducted at the uh, after the debates, I have been uh, doing not so good. Now, in California, they winnowed down the original field of like a dozen to half a dozen, and I did make it into that half dozen, but it, when the straw poll went around, I was sort of towards the end of it. Now, there's a, there is a reason for that, and that is uh, because of the 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 uniqueness of the offer that I am making to the Libertarian Party, you know, because of my past thirty years of. A facetious, satirical campaigning and acting like a, a maniac on the streets and what have you has given me a level of notoriety and a fan base and name recognition that is allowing me to make what I perceive and believe is a legitimate offer to the LP to act as their candidate. If they are willing to take that leap, if they are willing to you know throw caution to the wind and and go along with the framing, can a serious party put up somebody who have to be a joke? Can I say yes, it's all in the framing. It's you know it's the hashtag. We are in on the joke, and you know statements to the effect of we you know we're the Libertarian Party. We've been doing this for a long time. We 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 believe in things. We do things, but the duopoly, the electoral system electing the presidency, has risen to the level of a joke. And so, therefore, with love and with spite, here's Vermin Supreme, and they kicked me out on stage. So it's definitely a bold, untried, purely uh, speculative offer that I'm making them. But I have developed and once again the only reason that I'm running in the libertarian party is because over a year uh, over 4 years ago uh, some you know libertarians uh, who were very active in the party uh, upper parts of it uh, sort of invited and brought me into it and showed me that uh, uh, many of my misconceptions were incorrect and it's been a long journey before I've uh, fully integrated uh, with my uh, left anarchist uh, Rainbow anarchists origins into the Libertarian Party, but the fact is that the Libertarian Party is the only party that welcomes anarchists. Number one, there's an alliance between uh, anarchists and minarchists, and, and there's there's a tacit agreement that you know we're working towards ending the state and uh when we get to a point where the state is minimal then we'll figure it out from there so so there's that part right there that was obviously attractive to me as a politician and as an anarchist and um it's the only party that has welcomed me in 2016 uh i attended the orlando convention for the lp and there i did you know i was pretty much straight up in character most of the time playing with the conventions of convention and you know in pushing the limits, and just having too much fun. And uh, they all enjoyed it, uh, or at least half of them did. The other half did not, but the half that liked it very much enjoyed that fact that the other half did not like it also. And I realized that this was a party that was would accept me. And then a little over one year ago, my campaign manager, Desiree Lindsay, who had been talking to uh, some people in her circles, asked me if I would be interested in running a more serious campaign. and I considered it and decided that, yes, I would, because it seemed to be a very natural extension of my career as a politician who wasn't previously pretending to run for president or, or not pretending to seek a nomination. And the fact that um, they convinced me, uh, uh, libertarians convinced me that I had always been a libertarian and that uh, my thought process and actions and, and fundamental core values were, were indeed very libertarian. Uh, the thing that many liber- uh, people uh, on the street don't understand is that the Libertarian Party is not a monolith. It is not a, a right leaning monolith. Uh, there is a spectrum within the Libertarian Party that goes from left to right and uh it's a very interesting dynamic it's a very interesting place and i like i said i don't normally shill for a political party but in this instance i mean for anybody wanting to check out the platform and i would highly recommend that it would be at lp.org platform or you can just go to my website supreme 2020com in addition to the merch and uh platforms uh, we also link to it uh it's the only really ultimately anti-war anti-foreign intervention platform it uh, affirms the right of sex workers it affirms the right of humans to be free and whatever they take uh, it's about ending the drug war it's about ending the police state the surveillance state uh, mass incarceration all of these things. There's a lot of things going down there, and of course, trying to put some of these issues uh, in a different type of context that uh, allows you know my left base, because obviously uh, I, I came up on the, on the left side of the tracks, if you will. Especially at the street demonstrations, I would you know run with the the red and black blocks because I knew they were anti-authoritarians, and uh, I was always an anti-authoritarian, and so I knew they would oftentimes be engaging with the police or perhaps engaging in symbolic property destruction. And so I would run with them because I had my bullhorn and I had my wits and I had the skills that I picked up at the rainbow gatherings of dealing with cops and bringing humor into crisis situations and things of that nature and uh, run interference and try and uh, smooth things out out in riot world. So even back in 08 or or before, uh, you'll find me saying that, yes, I I identified as an anti-capitalist. And I don't believe that I'm a, a full-on capitalist. Well, you know, I accept that it, it exists. I accept that people uh, can engage in uh, a system that involves that. But I believe that when. Uh, a lot of people refer to capitalism per se. They're referring to the corporatocracy, you know, the the weird corporate government fusion that we have going on here in America and the, the crazy subsidies and huge, crazy deals, that, you know, propping up the baking industry by giving them loans uh, for pennies. And so I think that's the type of what gets referred to as capitalism that might not be, uh, you know, capitalism. It, it might be just a very horrible uh, example of it.
3: Uh, So the Libertarian Party has always been kind of interesting to me because it's ran for, it's existed in different forms for about 30 or 40 years. 1972. 1972. And it's never really achieved too much lasting power. And from what I've seen from the outside and not interacting too much with people in the Libertarian Party is that they've tried running like Goldwater Republicans, deregulationist Republicans, and they've also tried running full tilt, like minarchists, but neither has really worked. And my theory is that because they're trying to play by the rules that the Democrats and Republicans have set up, and that fundamentally doesn't work. And that's why I got so excited about your campaign was that I genuinely think that the way forward for the libertarians is to embrace being a joke to some respect because they are a joke and the more they deny it, the less effective they are. But if there's someone like
2: you, I mean, that may be common wisdom, but you are raising my hackles on that because, you know, I am a joke. What, What I have done is, you know, it's certainly been in the context of humor. The Libertarian Party is, it, I'm not saying this in a, in a bad way, but it is a political club. And I, I don't want to call them political, well, political nerds, I guess. I mean, because nerd culture is are obviously a very important part of my base.
3: It's what this show likes to call wonks.
2: Uh, Yes, they're insanely wonky. I've been attending a number of state conventions, probably a dozen over the past uh, year or so, and a lot of their convention time is spent doing business utilizing Robert's Rules of Orders. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it, it's super, super wonky. And these cats definitely fall into the category of political nerds. They, but they find that they have to use this process just to sort of uh, so that everybody's on the same page. Now, I will say that theoretically and ultimately you say, you know, libertarians have never seized power, but power is almost a thing that the party is disavows in a in a way uh, it's more about the the power of the individual and, and the responsibility and the rights of, of the individual to act as an individual and and, the, and that is the power and power is de- is simply derived by existing I, I guess um so you know it, it is true that there has not been a lot of electoral success. But ultimately, uh, the Libertarian Party has been on the right side of a lot of issues. Uh, They were certainly the first to embrace gay rights and and equal rights for sexual minorities. It's been, you know, one of the only party that has steadfastly called for the end of regulation of of drugs and the drug war forever uh their platform has always been anti-war uh so as far as political parties go it's certainly not the biggest i can say it is the largest growing party it's growing by leaps and bounds but of course that's because it's it's not a big party to begin with but it does exist and it does uh, allow for a lot of opportunity in it. Now, of course, it's arguable that, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a big fish in a small pond and all that stuff. But I think what I have discovered hanging with these cats, there is love, there is compassion, there is camaraderie. They are concerned about people and, and how things affect them and issues like that. Unfortunately, I think the libertarians have a, a a huge messaging problem and there you know a lot of the candidates oftentimes will say you know things that are just so far beyond the pale for normal people to be able to absorb without a lot of exposition and explanation uh you know such as oh you know we must end the department of education and you know we we must end uh, medicaid immediately and, and things of that nature which are just it falls to one of my original criticisms when i was younger that libertarianism with my interpretation of it at the time was you know it was more it was about pulling the rug out from under people and letting them the chips fall where they may, Mm -hmm. but my personal experiences with a lot of these people on a personal level and seeing how they operate in their community, it's just, it's not like that. Granted, there are a lot of cranky people in the party, and there's a lot of people who call themselves uh, small L libertarians that have very wide range of views. But I can say for sure that, uh, you know, a person who who joins the Libertarian Party must agree minimally to the non-aggression principle. And that's a simple statement that violence is illegitimate. And it should only be used in self-defense of yourself or your property. And so everybody who is a member of the Libertarian Party theoretically, essentially, and and should agree to that basic, very basic statement of principles. And uh, like I say, if you go to lp.org slash platform, read the Libertarian Party platform, the preamble, of course, it's beautiful, it's, it's visionary, it's utopian. And I think that's my take on the party. And uh, I guess a lot of uh, anarchists, you know, left or right, is that we are working towards this post state society, a society that exists without the need for a state. And of course, mm-hmm. that. Uh, the libertarians, you know, believe that it that totally relies on, you know, self-ownership and, and, and responsibility. But, you know, I, I always believe that it, it involves uh, in more community, uh, in, in strengthening communities. And I think a lot of libertarians agree with that. And uh, a lot of li- libertarians agree that, you know, families should be strengthened and we should be doing all these things, you know, creating more stronger, smaller units. And I've always maintained my entire understanding that the only way that we'll really be able to disengage ourselves from the government is by creating, uh, the services and replacing the services and replacing the need for those services. And, um, you know, reform and revolution, uh, all these things, uh, maybe, but, um, All in all, I think the libertarian version is is a solid one. But like I say, there are disagreements within the party over even such things as property. I mean, for goodness sake, there is a, in addition to, you know, Rothbardian-leaning caucuses, uh, there's also the libertarian socialist caucus, for goodness sake. And that is, uh, that blows people's minds. uh, And that blows, uh, I mean, people who don't know that about the libertarian party, it causes them to have to look at it again and reassess. And I think that's, you know, the, the fact that I've affiliated with the libertarian party. That has caused a lot of people who would not have uh, given it another look or who, who would have immediately just continued cruising around on, uh, on misconceptions to take a look, another look at it in a different way. And that's why I'm really trying to steer people towards the platform, because I maintain that if you're running for a party's nomination, and they're certainly a party's nominee, then you must indeed uh, shill for uh, what that party stands for. And I believe that uh, is clearly stated in the uh, in the platform. And um, I don't know what else. Any other questions? Give me another question. Getting a little dry here.
1: <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like shilling if you actually believe in it. Um, yeah. You brought up uh, libertarian socialism, which is one. Uh, I'm in DSA, so obviously I'm more of a, a centralist than that. But
3: I mean, for me and for me and Kennedy, you will get no disagreement on the subject of libertarian socialism. We love to see.
1: Yes. That. And I mean, I'm not against like libertarian socialism morally or ethically one of the tensions i see on the left between you know sort of democratically centralized approaches and libertarian approaches is this question of how to deal with communities who are doing oppression and violating the non-aggression principle if you were president of the united states or better yet as our current president of the United States, how do you approach that tension between the individual liberty of a citizen and the sometimes very destructive tendency of communities, especially smaller communities, especially insular communities, to oppress and otherwise harm minority groups?
2: I believe the, the answer would certainly be uh, everybody have the proper guns and stuff. Um, Community self-defense. Yes, if if everybody's armed, it's a much more polite society, I think. Uh, Of course, perhaps I'm just harkening back to a golden age, uh, being the boomer that I am. (laughs) And of course, that is a concern, and it's a very real concern, and that is why I am trying to encourage such things thought because once again that that is so far in the future you know that is truly theoretical speculative and what have you i mean will we ever get to this post-state utopia i'm just not seeing it happen i mean i'm seeing you know i mean sure if we want to create uh little spaces here and there in temporary autonomous zones and communal things and and if people can make a go of it and uh try and scale it up to whatever level they can. I think that's a great thing. And I suppose I've got no answers on that one, quite frankly. There is a tension. There is a balance. And I think the utopian in me uh, wants to say that, well, if we all respect one another and love one another and and have these great communities and there there will be no hate and we'll all have ponies and there'll be butterflies and unicorns and everything will be beautiful. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think it's fair to not have all the answers. You know, I will say that I think that the more radical your politics are, the more you're expected to have an answer to every single question. And sometimes you just don't. And that's okay too. But I would like to ask you like a slight follow up on your comment about guns, because I think that guns are a really interesting subject. And I think the way that left libertarians or libertarian socialists approach this subject is kind of different than a lot of other people. It seems right now that there is a type of inequality in terms of the ability of the state and in particular police to carry around lots of violent implements and sort of intimidate everybody else with them. And most other people aren't in the same position. Do you have any takes on like a more equitable distribution of violence, for lack of a better term?
2: Uh, well, well, naturally, uh, the Libertarian Party itself uh, affirms the, the right of the populace to be armed, uh, strong supporters of the, of the Second Amendment, and uh, don't believe that the government should tell you what you can and cannot own. I know, I know some people are, are drooling over the whole uh, 3D printing aspect, and uh, I have indeed uh, been quipping uh, to quite great effect that Vermin Supreme is going to take away your guns and give you better ones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a campaign yeah, slogan that's pretty good
2: so, so it seems that a lot of times you know the short quippy stuff resonates a lot better with people and when i'm trying to swim for like some sort of coherent actual policy or or ideas on things because i've never i've never said that i was a pundit and I, you know i think a lot of people want their politicians to be pundits and of course uh, i i've never maintained that i i, I have any great ideas or particular amazing opinions. Uh, I think everybody has opinions. And I guess it's whether you're acting on them or not, then it becomes a, an issue. But you know, how mad can we get at each other because our opinions differ? I don't think that's going to really lead us anywhere. I mean, I, I do like to talk about compassion and empathy and, and all of those things as uh, societal ideals and political ideals if, if we can make that happen i obviously our society seems to be a, a little fractured at this point and it's uh i mean not that it always hasn't been but it's certainly getting crazier and uh you know stable societies have clicked into fucking crazy civil wars uh, with little to no warning you know can i read a little portion from uh, my book i pony blueprint for new america please Okay, it's, it's a book. It's uh, called iPony, Blueprint for a New America. It's available on my campaign merch store, I believe, or will be shortly, at Vermin supreme 2020com This is a book about the future, long after a Vermin Supreme presidency, after everybody has their pony, after zombie power fuels the nation, after secret dental police have set up checkpoints every couple hundred yards to protect you and your children. It is a warning from the people of the future to you, the people of their past, You are present that Vermin Supreme is a madman and must be stopped. Right. Here we go. There were harsh political realities when President for Life Vermin I took office. At the time of his ascent to the White House, there were over 300 million Americans in America's previous borders. At the time, there were only 200,000 ponies in the whole country. It was a recipe for civil unrest. Those were not just political realities, those were reality realities. There was a very stark choice to be made on the table would it be the mass execution of some two hundred and ninety nine thousand seven hundred thousand plus americans in order to achieve proper pony human parity or would it be something else his misspoken claim during his inauguration to faithfully execute the american people was sounding visionary it is certainly true that such a mass execution would create jobs it would also lessen the country's dependence on foreign oil it would be good for the environment. Although there were some drawbacks to consider, mostly they were merely questions of ethics and public relations. During this time of widespread civil unrest, all options were on the table. The Dental High Command was put on high alert. The dental re-education camps were readied. Homeland Dental Security coordinated with the nation's dental police departments. The militarization of America's dental police forces had been a great idea that it was about to pay off in lower incidence of gum disease nationwide. There were riots in the streets of numerous cities, pulsating water pick cannons knocked rioters off their feet and knocked the plaque right off of their teeth. The population was demanding their ponies, ponies that were nowhere in sight. It was a time of heightened international tensions. No one would have blamed Tyrant Supreme if he had ordered the National Dental Guard to carry out a full-scale massacre of the civilian population. It was high time, actually. The veneer of civility that had protected Americans from such real political unrest for quite some time was wearing thin. The quaint and oft-repeated notion that it can't happen here was truly just a lack of imagination. Thank you. I'm Vermin Supreme.
0: (laughs) Incredible. Splendid. Wonderful. You know, I'm really glad that you brought up dental hygiene because it seems to me that you have been pushing for an extremely refined, I should say, hygienic approach to dental care for a long time. Do you feel that candidates like Bernie Sanders are stepping on your toes by including dental in bills like Medicare for All?
2: No, it, I just think it goes to show that I've been pulling the chocolatey Ovaltine window in my direction. Uh, <laughs> that's a good thing, of course, as long as it's not paid for by taxpayers, then it's more perfect. However, uh, the important thing uh, to note is, yes, of course, uh, my campaign has been so long that uh, various portions of my platform have entered the political vernacular. Uh, If you remember the last election cycle, Jeb Bush was asked if he would go back in time and kill baby Hitler. Oh, yeah. Ben Carson was asked if he would abort baby Hitler. So the killing baby Hitler meme, which, of course, has been part of my platform for a number of cycles, spread out a little bit.
0: Also, didn't Joe Biden call someone a dog-faced pony soldier? That seems like it's right out of your book.
2: He sure as hell did. And the free pony uh, thing itself has entered the political vernacular. I mean, you will hear, you know, all these various politicians' plans uh, for universal Medicare and what have, be uh, called free ponies. You know, free college is referred to as free ponies. I believe, uh, and I'm pretty confident that, yes, I I coined that uh, phrase and it went out there. Yay. So we are making progress as we head towards Ponytopia. That's a fact. Yeah. Many people ask me, Vermin, are we going to literally use ponies for currency? And I answer, that would be ridiculous until we can make them very small, that is. And we do have scientists working on that, by the way. Ultimately, it would be up to the Federal Pony Reserve to make such fiscal policy. But the thing to understand about Ponynomics, friends, is that once we have universal pony ownership, we will have created equity in the ponies that we own. Now, once we've established universal pony equity, then we will be able to borrow against it. Now, once we've established pony-based debt, we'll be able to create uh, pony credit default swaps, AAA pony junk bond markets, and all sorts of things. We are going to be creating a huge pony bubble in the economy. And of course, we all know that bubbles are awesome things in the economy at the time they're occurring. All cylinders are fired. Hiring, everybody's making money, Wall Street's to the roof, but this bubble, unlike other bubbles, is going to be reinforced, steel belted, and last forever. Fact. Wow. Damn.
1: When you're talking about everyone having, you know, their fair share of ponies, I, I just want to give you a term that I think you will find very useful. You know, there's equity, right? Perhaps for your free pony initiative, you could call it equestri Ah, uh,
2: I like it. I like it. You can just have that Great. in
1: the spirit of solidarity. It's <laughs> yours.
2: Yeah, people like the people like puns. That's for sure. So the Ponytopia that you've
3: been talking about—you don't really think it's coming soon, you said. So do you have any particular ideas about good compromises that are kind of achievable in the now of politics to get to a place where we don't have such a frightening all-encompassing state, and we can at some point get there? to the point where we have Free Pony all.
2: Well, the thing that that I've always loved about my, you know, my anarchy coming up on on as as an anarchist was that it currently exists. Uh, I don't know. There's temporary autonomous zones. Uh, I learned so much about what I know about anarchy and experience anarchy by attending the uh, Rainbow Family Gatherings. Are you familiar with those?
0: I am, but actually, a uh, vermin. For the sake of the audience, I would say, speaking as the only person who probably works on this podcast and knows anything about the rainbow gathering, um, gatherings, I-, I think that most of the people listening probably have no idea about that. Could you talk just a little bit about that in general?
2: Okay, Uh, well, let let me tell you about them. Once again, these are gatherings that have been occurring since uh, 1972. Uh, They're an annual event, although there's many smaller ones uh, throughout the country and throughout the world at at this point in between. It occurs the first week in July in a national forest in America, a different one every year, and where it will be is decided at the uh, previous year's gathering at a council. Everything that happens there happens by people coming together and uh, operating sort of on this uh, horizontal consensus-based operating procedure. Imagine, if you will, you know, there's ten or twenty thousand hippies out in the woods, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less, and there is no one in charge. Essentially, it is an anarchistic organism, uh, and it exists. There's four thousand people waiting in concentric circles for dinner. All of a sudden, out of the woods, from a hundred different kitchens, come representatives bringing five-gallon buckets of food. People go around the circle, people get fed, they get their dinner, they get like a four or five or six or seven or more course meal. Also that goes around the circle are people who give information. Uh, There's announcements that are given. Uh, There's talent shows that people are made aware of. There's different things going on in all these different camps. There's like people with theme camps, Uh, year after year you see them. So then also the magic hat goes around. Now, once again, because it's a non-commercial event, because it can't be a commercial event and uh, try and exist uh, under these conditions in a national forest, otherwise they want more permits, the magic hat goes around. And it's sort of a spiritual money laundering because you can't buy anything at the the gathering uh, or sell anything. There is barter, there's trading circles and all that stuff. So people throw the money into the hat, goes around, goes into the middle of the circle. There's a council, it's the banking council. They count the money, they make an announcement of how much was brought in that night. Anybody can join the banking council, total transparency. The next morning, the kitchens do a spokes council as they send down representatives and they interface with the supply council, the, uh, the supply people and they let the people Know what they need, shopping list, etc. The kitchen council discusses what might be uh, needed at different kitchens. They might trade uh, different supplies and things like that. That 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 process goes in circles every night. You know, the food hat, money, supply, banking council. There's miles of water hose that uh, connects the gathering. We tap springs miles away and then uh, gets water to all the kitchen. So it's a pretty amazing thing and uh there are talent shows and there are all sorts of things and it's where i learned to be a clown essentially i was uh you know i would walk from one end of the camp to the other and do funny things and and you can do funny things that all you want there and people love that stuff and it's a pretty amazing community it's a pretty amazing place and it goes on for a week or two and then it disappears people totally make it disappear they pick up all the trash pick up every last little cigarette butt. uh they decompact the paths and put in water bars and replant the seeds and a few years down the line you, you could never tell that it ever happened there so Things happen when, if there's a, a function that needs to be filled, it is filled by people coming together to make it happen. Do we need to dig another shitter hole? Yes, we do. Let's dig it. Do we have to go get some more water to bring to the shower? Yes, we do. Let's go do it. Do we have to carry some water? Do we have to split some firewood? Yes, we do. Let's do it. Do we have to like chop vegetables? Yes, we do. And all these things get done. There's a million things that need to get done and, it, and they all get done. And uh, it's an amazing uh, get together. And uh, of course, uh, I discovered after several years of being an entertainment high holy and emceeing shows and stuff like that, that one of the services that we provided was security because we provide our own security. So we have this group of people, a council that is called Shante Sina, a little cultural appropriation from the Sanskrit, meaning peacekeepers. And we are essentially in the capacity of uh, glorified camp counselors and crisis de-escalators and crisis intervention. Uh, Because when you get so many people together, there's a lot of potential for uh, conflict. And so we are trying to be ready for that. And uh, if it's a smaller conflict, that's great. And if it gets bigger, uh, okay. And uh, sometimes the answers are found in bringing people together in front of councils to talk it out and figure it out. And restorative justice and dealing with all sorts of different people. And sometimes it gets quite intense because sometimes really intense things happen there. So I, I discovered that. I was able to bring humor into that. And then some of the things we do as peacekeepers is help escort media through the gathering. And, and sometimes we always want to police. Trouble. And so I would spend like six hours a day, eight hours a day walking with the cops and walking with the National Forest Service. And the National Forest Service spends up to a million dollars a year on an incident command team specifically created to screw with the uh, rainbow gatherings and look um, wow. at them and set up roadblocks and walk through it and ticket people and arrest people for anything from nudity or, I mean, whatever. And so we we try and escort them to let people know that they're coming. We all we, six up is sort of the warning uh, that we yell out so, uh, and I, and sometimes I would, you know, and so I would bring my humor to that situation and make fun with the cops and have fun with the cops and laugh at the cops and joke with the cops and propagandize the cops and try and contextualize what they're experiencing. And, you know, they would come in all ramrod straight and after eight hours of chilling and seeing what it was about, they totally relaxed. And, uh, I learned, uh, another value, you know, I would walk in front of the cops, uh, by, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 feet and, uh, you know, t- tell people, I don't want to seem paranoid, but I think I'm being followed by cops. and and just, you know, try and make it as funny as possible. And I was able to bring that skill. Out into the streets, out into riot world, and so sometimes I'm in this situation on the streets in protests, and there's the space between the demonstrators and the cops, and it, it's a vacuum essentially. And some it'll get filled by something. It could be somebody doing something stupid, or a cop doing something stupid, or taking a pot shot with pepper spray or some shit. But I found that I could uh, walk into that space and pretty much uh, use it, command it, take it up by using my bullhorn and telling jokes and giving out important medical advice to people about what to expect in terms of riot control agents and the stuff and possible. Ed- exits and don't run and you know know where your people are and and it was all these things going to the uh, going to the rainbow gatherings and going to political demonstrations out of the Nevada test site and I don't know I just uh ended up on on this place uh where I'm at that point where I can deny certain people their authority and I can ask for a, a commanding officer and they sometimes they'll come out to tell me what the hell they want and they think I'm in charge because I have a boot on my head that's how crazy it is right (laughs)
1: god the fact that people would just assume that the boot means you're the one in charge i love it it's like a crown it's it's i will
2: will say that you know at a multi-day demonstration you know i try and give that impression you know i i move bigger you know i I use really broad movements i i try and like command people through my bullhorn but by the end of it you know they know they know that i am in charge that whole shit show Ah.
3: Uh, So, uh, one of our listeners asked about, and I know you touched on this in your previous answer, about sort of clowning and humor to de-escalate in increasingly intense political situations. And so, it's probably obvious to anyone who's been looking out the window that the political situation is really, really tense. And there are a lot of things that could go either way and could be harmful for a lot of people. So, how do you see your role as... Kind of like like you said, like like a clown, and using humor. How do you see your role in affecting the political climate in a more positive, in a more kind of lighthearted way?
2: Well, on the streets, is definitely the more immediate, uh, intense. You know, because things can go, move fast and things can go wrong and violence can flare up here and there. And so I find it very important to be able to de-escalate uh, through humor and by getting people to laugh, you know, telling the cops that I have them surrounded and they need to surrender and they have, should come out with their hands up and their pants down or trying to get the crowd to visualize all the cops naked, things like that, to try if they, they feel intimidated and whatever so it's definitely a mix and it's definitely can release tension and that's a very important thing in the mix along with uh, all the information I also like to read from riot control manuals to the police to let them know uh, what I expect from my oppressor uh, is professional behavior and stuff and um, I try and rehumanize the cops uh, for the protesters and the protesters for the cops it's it's a transferable skill quite frankly it's uh, I have a course called Megaphonics, hooked on Megaphonics, uh, the de-escalation tactics <laughs> bullhorn and that is a transferable skill and uh it's i think it's an important skill you know back in the 80s and 90s there was more sort of uh peacekeepers or people trying to keep a you know if not a lid on thing at, at least uh, some sort of information going and i think it's time for you know more information and, and certainly uh the, you know the whole running for president thing i mean it's it's like pissing on fish in a barrel it's it's a very for me it's pretty simple but people really like it. And it's really funny. And it's really easy uh, for me. It's been a total blessing, you know, just this random toss of the DNA and this finding this very small niche, you know, running for president. I mean, you know, sure, maybe a thousand people in the country do it. So it, it was pretty easy to exploit that little niche and go up to New Hampshire and, and use the New Hampshire primary because that's such a small state, uh, as you may have seen recently. And every last candidate shows up there and they all have campaign headquarters and buses and staff and they're bouncing all around the state and events and it's very easy to interact with them and very interesting to draw a lot of media attention so that really worked in my favor And then, of course, the, you know, going viral in 2012 during that thing with the glitter bomb. And I don't know. It's just a a little knack I got. And uh, I'm seeing how far I can take it and uh, what I can do with it. And, uh, yes, I I believe that uh, using humor to delegitimize and make fun of and poke holes in and take the piss out of and all those things. Yeah, I I think it can be a very effective uh, tool. You know, hesitant to say weapon, I hate to contextualize things like that, but sure. And I think we can all sort of do it. The the emperor has no clothes. You know what I'm saying? Well,
1: our supreme emperor has a boot.
2: Yes. But sometimes I wear a, a boot that only can be seen by really smart people and ponies.
0: Oh.
1: I choose both. I'm both.
2: These grifters I met, they they, they told me all about it, and they skinned these uh, invisible ponies to make it, and it's really uh, it's a beautiful thing.
1: We love it.
2: Can you see it? I'm wearing it right now.
0: I can see it in my third eye. Yeah. I'm just, I'm looking out the window. I see it right now.
2: Mm -hmm. Cool. So we've been going about an hour now. Uh,
1: Yeah, we are actually about, we are running out of time. So I think uh, this is probably going to be our last question. Broadly, who are the people and what are the philosophies you are drawing on for your platform? And have you Googled Murray Bookchin?
2: Um, Yeah. Sure. um, I I like Bookchin. I'm not that booked on him. I can tell you that I've come up on uh, Kropotkin. I've come up on Emma Goldman and like that. I'm trying to read more, but I really haven't uh, had the time for it. I know that's a very lame excuse. I definitely want to get to Spooner. I definitely want to get to Sterner. And I definitely want to uh, read a little bit of that too, yeah. So yeah, I'm going to have to read the Wikipedia uh, uh, take on it, I guess. So I can pretend to be informed, you know what I'm saying?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. That's all we do on this show. I always read the
3: Wikipedia pages of films so I can say that I watch them.
2: (laughs) I get the impression that people think I'm a lot smarter than I really am because they say that, and it's like, I'm just not really that smart.
0: (laughs) Well, I think you've been plenty smart tonight. Vermin Supreme, thank you so much for coming on the show. Would you please let everybody out there know how to find you on the internet and get involved with your campaign?
2: Uh, Certainly. First, I wanted to uh, say this, that the transition times will be confusing and frightening. Not all of us will make it. There will be sacrifices and they will be human sacrifices. But rest assured, the road to Ponatopia will be paved with the glitter encrusted skulls of our vanquished foes.
0: (laughs) just incredible.
2: I have seen things people wouldn't believe. I've seen dental attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched pony beams glitter bombed in the dark near the Trumplaza gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like pony pee in the rain. Toothpaste down the drain. Oops! running late. Gotta go. Yes, friends, together we will ride our ponies into a zombie powered future be sure to go to vermin supreme 2020.com you can follow me on twitter at vermin supreme you can follow me on tiktok at the real the real vermin supreme you can follow me on instagram vermin supreme for president i think it's at something something. Just did my first live stream there this morning. Got the Facebook uh, Vermin Supreme for President with the blue check mark is official, but also there's the Vermin Supreme Dank Meme Stash and a whole bunch of other pony-related pages that you can find there. You can uh, definitely go to my campaign website, Vermin Supreme 2020.com. That's where uh, you can buy stuff and support the campaign and donate to the campaign because it is a crazy real campaign. I'm a real money-grubbing politician. Really got a lot of places to go and need to raise more money to do so. So there is that, Um, never thought it would get that far, never thought I'd be running a real campaign, but here we are. And uh, yes, currently they, uh, we'll see what I do on the uh, in the primary. I mean, how the hell do you run a national, a state campaign in three states with no resources uh, other than name recognition alone? So it will be very interesting to see how I might do. Thank you very much, and happy uh, Super Tuesday to you and uh, and your viewers and your listeners and your. I podcast. think you mean
0: Supreme uh, Tuesday.
2: Ah, Supreme Tuesday, indeed. <laughs> and uh, look for me on social media because uh, I am from the internet. Thank you
3: absolutely it has been a f- phenomenal interview thank you
1: yes and i you have my word when the dnc rat fucks bernie sanders i will vote you instead
2: you are i appreciate that, <laughs> that's, that that's part of the, the speculative uh votes that we can get we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad this uh all worked out technically and uh had a great time have a great night people
0: absolutely thank you so Bye. much we have been not safe for Wonks. If you don't follow us on Twitter, it's at NSFWonks. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash We have a lot of exclusive content over there. And when you support the Patreon, it makes all of the cool things that we do like this more possible so that we can do even more of them. And thank you so much. We'll see you next time.
3: See ya. All right. Bye.